Welcome back to the Sharpen Podcast. I'm Ashley, the creator, producer, interviewer, editor, and marketer for this show. If you like what I'm doing and want to show your support, I invite you to head on over to patreon.com slash the Sharpen Podcast to commit a small donation. And thank you to my current Patreon supporters for helping sustain this podcast. I've been spending the last month and a half crutching from my bed to my couch, from my bed to my couch. The world keeps moving on and on, and I feel like I'm literally wasting away indoors as I recover from knee surgery. This has been one of the most challenging times of my life, emotionally, mentally, and physically. I've needed endless help doing even the smallest tasks during the day. My partner and I have a pair of Rocky Talkie radios, and I radio him if I need anything at all. We've used these radios nonstop since the day I came home from the hospital. I used to use mine for outdoor adventures, and now I'm using it to call for help in my own house. Like discounts? Get 10% off your radios with code SHARPEND at rockytalkie.com. This episode is also supported by Sterling Rope. A wet rope is heavy, hard to handle, and can be flat out dangerous. That's why Sterling developed their new line of dry climbing ropes using Zeros technology. Zeros is a whole new way to manufacture UIAA certified dry rope that's more effective, wear resistant, better for the environment, and only available from Sterling. Visit sterlingrope.com to learn more and use code SHARPEND for 15% off. And to all my lady listeners out there, the owner of Swoop, wants to give you a discount code for her handmade, perfectly comfortable lady undergarments. Stay tuned to the end of this episode to get that discount code and learn how you can enter to win a giveaway of my go-to handmade bras and underwear made with love from my friend in my home state of Alaska. This show is also supported by the American Alpine Club. Rachel Pazula set out on July 29th, 2020 on a pretty nice, mostly sunny day in Colorado to climb two 14ers in the Sangre de Cristo mountain range, about three hours from her home in Golden, Colorado. By this point in the summer, she'd already hiked about 10 14ers with her dog. She was feeling strong and confident. Her objective today was to climb Challenger Point and Kit Carson Peak in one day. Unfortunately, she got a little turned around on a tricky part of the hike and ended up needing a rescue. Listen in to hear Rachel's full story. Enjoy. I'm Rachel Pasula. Um, I live in Golden, Colorado. I am a yoga teacher and avid rock climber and a very novice mountaineer. <laughs> so um, I started hiking the 14ers, which are all of the mountains here that are at least 14,000 feet or higher um, in 2019. And yeah, um, just kind of like got really into it really quick. Um, And I think out of the 51 summits I've done, probably about like 46 of those were solo. Um, But when I go solo, my dog always comes with me. Yeah, no human help with me. I actually, so I had two days off um, from work, and so it was a Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, I actually drove down Tuesday and probably got to the bottom of the trailhead around like noon. Um, So (laughs) had I wanted to, I could have backpacked up and made it a two-day trip, but 
I decided to just um, enjoy the scenery, set up my tent, read a book, hang out with my dog. Um, and then I was going to try to go to bed pretty early to have an even earlier start. Um, I think my intention was to start around 3 a.m., which I did not. Um, but yeah, so I was having a really peaceful Tuesday. Um, I was in my tent with my dog that Tuesday night and um, I had texted one of my friends named Tim and he knew I was down there. He knew what my objective was. I think he was the only person that I told that day. I didn't tell him like what time he should hear from me or anything like that um, the following day and just told him where I was at. Um, so I'm in my tent and I was, I had downloaded um, like a GPS map of the route. I also was on 14ers.com, which is a great resource for hiking any 14ers in Colorado. There's also route descriptions, pictures for 13ers as well. You can, there's so much information on there. Like you can read trip reports that people have put up from for like the past 20 years or however long the site's been up. Um, so you can get like a lot of really detailed information. You can also download pictures of the whole route. And so I had downloaded the GPS route. Um, I also had read the route description. I think this was my second time reading it. And I did notice something uh, very important. Um, The author of the description said that after you summit, so Challenger Point is the first 14er you summit, and then you take the saddle over to Kit Carson. And then there's this about two foot wide ledge that wraps from the north side of Kit Carson Peak all the way over to its south side. Um, It's called the Avenue. And the Avenue is actually class two um, hiking. But when you wrap around to the south side on the Avenue, you then have to pay close attention to where to take the class three scramble. Um, all the way up to Kit Carson Peak. And in the route description, it said to be very cautious when you're descending Kit Carson Peak because it's very easy to miss the avenue. Um, if you miss the avenue, you uh, quickly find yourself in class five terrain. That is very hard to then recline back up to the avenue. But yeah, so I was reading this in my tent and I, you know, I paid attention to that, that piece of information, but I guess I didn't pay close enough attention. I had been to these mountains the year before with a friend and we had backpacked up to Willow Lake um, and we tried to go for both Challenger Point and Kit Carson the following day and we didn't even make it all the way up to Challenger Point. But I think because I had already kind of been in that area, I'd been partway up the first 14er, like I felt overconfident (laughs) um, in my ability to recognize and know the route. I didn't pay close enough attention to that point in the description. But anyways, so I intended to wake up at 3 a.m., set my alarm. And this is also um, one of the many mistakes I made that day. As I was about to go to bed in my tent, I noticed like my battery on my phone was really low. But being the procrastinator I am, I was like, well, it's okay. I'll wake up even earlier. I'll charge my phone in my car and then I'll make sure my phone is charged before I start my hike. Well, um, (laughs) when my alarm starts going off in the morning, of course, I kept snoozing it. I ended up not getting up, I think, until about like 3.45. And at that point, I didn't have much time to charge my phone. Um, so I get all my stuff together, get my pack together. My dog, he carries his own pack as well. Um, that just has a few things in there. So I got us both ready and started off probably right after 4am and my phone, uh, 
I believe the battery was at 14% as I started this long day. So we start hiking. I luckily had my headlamp because I started before sunrise. So I was hiking with my headlamp. Um, We did the approach up. I think it's about four miles up to Willow Lake. By the time we got up to Willow Lake, um, the sun had risen. It was probably right around like six, maybe a little after 6 a.m. Took my headlamp off and Willow Lake is just this really popular backpacking destination. Like a lot of people will backpack up there with no intention to hike the 14ers. And so I remember just seeing all of these tents and I even saw, um, it wasn't a rescue group. It was um, a trail group that was doing maintenance on Challenger Point. I could see like they had a sign up above all their tents And so that kind of gave me just this sense of calm, like, okay, like I'm out here by myself, but there's all these other people. And my thought at the time was like, well, at least some of them are going to be hiking the 14ers with me. So I'll have, you know, people to like, maybe not exactly follow, but I'll see them on the mountain. Like basically I just didn't feel like I'd be alone with my dog. So I hike past Willow Lake. I think it's another mile or so until you get to the base of the first 14er Challenger Point. Um, I hadn't seen anyone on the trail at this point, but again, in my mind, I'm just thinking like, oh, everyone else is probably just sleeping in, like they'll be up here soon. And I start hiking up Challenger Point and Challenger Point, it's only class two, but it's very loose scree. So it's very loose rock where it's actually pretty difficult to ascend because you'll, you know, take a couple steps forward and then you slide back a little bit. And I remember running into some of the um, trail maintenance workers who are all volunteer, um, talked with them briefly and just went on. I think maybe about 30 minutes after I ran into them, I'm still on the slope heading up to the summit of Challenger. And I saw one other person, um, quite a bit ahead of me, but he was still making his way up Challenger as well. And I, was trying to kind of watch him and see like where he went um, because the trail, it starts off really good, really solid. And then it kind of just completely disappears. Um, So I would kind of look look up maybe every 10 or 15 minutes and just see where he was at. And maybe after an hour or so of that, um, I couldn't see him anymore. And I just thought that was like kind of weird. And then I was probably about like 15 minutes from getting up to the ridge, um, which is also just a short distance from the summit. And I saw the other hiker and he was actually on the complete other side of the ridge. And I remember thinking that was odd and just thinking like, oh, maybe he like took a different route up. Like maybe he's more experienced, um, took like a harder route up that I don't know about. I didn't think too much of it. So I get up to the summit of Challenger Point. And when you get up to the summit of Challenger Point, um, you can see uh, Kit Carson straight in front of you. And it was just kind of one of those awe moments, um, just feeling like completely awestruck. And right behind Kit Carson and Challenger, like across the valley are the Crestones. And Crestone Peak and Crestone Needle are just also like super magical looking mountains. Um, It was my first time seeing the Crestones up close. And I just remember being on top of Challenger Point, taking a bunch of photos of the Crestones, Kit Carson, and my dog, and just 
feeling like super excited. Like I was feeling like really re-energized, especially after that, like two hour slog up the slopes of Challenger Point. I wasn't feeling tired at all. I didn't take much food with me that day. Um, I also had kind of gotten into this habit um, that summer and the summer before when I started doing the 14ers of doing these really long days and not bringing much food at all um, with the intention that when I got down, I'd be super hungry and go stop at a restaurant and just like eat a whole pizza or something. (laughs) And that was completely my intention that day too. Like I knew it was probably going to take me my estimate, I think, was like eight or nine hours. Um, so I thought I'd get down like two o'clock or something like that, go have a really late big lunch. Um, and I can't remember how much water I brought. I want to say I brought three liters um, for me and my dog. So anyway, so then I start working my way down the saddle um, between Challenger and Kit Carson. And that was totally fine. No problem. And then um, right after the saddle, you get up to that avenue I was talking about, that like two foot ledge. And again, it starts on the north side of Kit Carson Peak and it wraps all the way around to the south side. And so my dog and I are hiking all along the avenue. Everything's gravy. Um, we get around to the south side and I finally notice like the point where you could, I could start making my way up, which would then turn into the class three scramble that would take me up to Uh, the summit of Kit Carson. And I had also remembered reading in the route description that there was kind of a standard way to make, to go up that scramble. Um, But there was a slightly harder way, um, still class three, but just a little bit steeper. And they're maybe like, if I had to guess, like 20 feet apart, both of these uh, routes up. And so I got to like the first route that's supposed to be steeper and a little harder. And I just looked up at it and I was like, oh, like that doesn't look bad. And so I told my dog named Emmett, I was like, Emmett, like called him up and he just starts pretty much like running up (laughs) this scramble. Um, He had no issue at all. And so that gave me confidence. I was like, okay, like we can go up this way. Um, So it probably only took like 20, maybe 30 minutes to do the class three scramble. Um, That basically took us all the way up to the summit of Kit Carson. We get up to the top of Kit Carson. And again, it was pretty similar to that feeling I had when I was on the first 14 or Challenger point where I just felt like elated. Um, I just felt so happy um, that I had done both of these 14ers by myself. So just a little background information before this um, little trip. I had only done, I think, one 14er with another person, and it was a class four 14er, which is also in this song race called Little Bear Peak. And I had done that with my friend Tim, the one who I was texting the night before this trip, and he knew I was down there. Um, And so Little Bear is considered like the second hardest 14er in Colorado. And so we had done it, like, I think two weeks before, and I just felt super confident. I was like, oh, yeah, like, you're I feeling had... strong. Yeah. Yeah. I was feeling super strong. And I was like, um, but this was technically my first class three 14er. So to do it alone, I also just felt like super excited. Um, so I'm on the summit, and I remember texting like multiple friends. Um, I texted the friend, um, his name was Craig, who I went with the year before to try to do these mountains. And I like sent him a selfie. I was like, oh my gosh, like Emma and I did this all by ourselves. Um, anyways, 
So I am using up my precious phone battery <laughs> to send all these selfies and text messages. And um, when I started making my way down, um, I noticed I had, I think, like 7% left on my phone because well, I had so, it. So what, what time is it when you're when you're at the top? It was noon. So you're right on schedule. Yep. Even yeah. with that 45 minute start delay, I mean, you're, you're crushing. Yeah. I think I did expect to get done a little sooner than that because I knew it would probably take me like another four hours to get down, but I was still pretty happy with my time. Um, oh, and I guess right before I started making my way down, I could see from the summit of Kit Carson that lone hiker, the only other hiker I'd seen that day was starting to make his way over to the saddle um, and the avenue. And then I could see behind him, there was one group of three as well. And so those were the only people I saw all day. And so I started making my way down and I looked at that first route that I took up and I just decided to like walk over that 20 feet or so to the second route um, to head down. And I saw at that point that um, Lone Hiker was starting to make his way up. And so I didn't even think like, oh, I should go down the way I came up because that's going to that's going to be what looks familiar. <laughs> that wasn't in my mind at all. I just saw another hiker and I was like, oh, I want to talk to him and like see if he took a different route up Challenger Point. So I started making my way down um, a different way than I came up. And we probably met about halfway down. Um, he stopped and he asked me actually if he was on route. Um, and I was like, yeah, I was like, you can take, you know, either this way or, you know, 20 feet over. They're both class three. And then I asked him, I was like, oh, did you take a different route up um, Challenger? And he was like, oh, no, like I actually got lost. He was like, I don't know how I did that. Um, and I like didn't really even think anything of this conversation. And in hindsight, it seems kind of foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> but anyways, you know, we set our pleasantries and then departed. And right after I um, started walking down after talking to him, I saw that group of three. And I even remember seeing them and thinking like, oh, they're down on the avenue. Like I should keep an eye out for the avenue as I make my way down. And so I start, I continue to start hiking down. I passed this group of three and um, we didn't talk or anything. And the next thing I realize is, oh, I feel like this is taking me a lot longer to get to the avenue than it took to get up. And this was probably like 20 minutes after I should have been on the avenue. So I look up and um, after you miss the avenue or below the avenue, it's class three or sorry, class five, really slabby terrain. So in hindsight, like when I was after I missed the avenue and I was looking back up trying to find it, like I couldn't see it. Like it's a ledge that's very visible when you're on it <laughs> and above it. But when you're below it, it's, you can't see it anymore. So I had this like bad gut feeling. So I pulled out my phone. At this point, I had 4% left on my phone. Um, I had actually just um, met this guy, Zach, um, who was a new friend. And I think we met like a few weeks before. And he had actually just finished hiking all of the 14ers. So I texted him and sorry for the language, but um, I told him, fuck, I think I'm lost. And he texted me immediately, like right back. And he was like, call me right now. Um, and I didn't call him because I knew if I called him, it was going to drain my battery even more. So I like spent a few minutes looking up and 
What is unfortunate about this side, the north side of Kit Carson Peak, is that there's lots of ledges <laughs> when you go down far enough that if you look up, it looks like the avenue. And so I texted him back maybe like five or 10 minutes later. Um, and I told him, I was like, never mind. I think I found the avenue. Immediately when I sent that message, it said it was delivered on my end. Um, my phone cut off and it died. So I thought I could see the avenue. Um, turns out what I was seeing was not the avenue. It was just, you know, another ledge looking feature. Um, so this was around, I would guess, 1230. Um, and I'm going to guess that I spent the next eight hours um, in this class five terrain with a 60 pound dog trying to find my way back up to the avenue. I was going back and forth. I was traversing across these class five slabs, which had I been by myself wouldn't have been as terrifying, but I had to keep my dog on a leash because he kept falling. Um, he even, this is like, sorry, probably one of the most like terrifying moments of my life, but he um, took like a 20 foot fall and like hit a ledge. Um, but as he was falling, like this is, I had like, the leash had slipped out of my hand um, because he weighs so much, like half as much as me. And I just saw him like scraping down um, these slabs and thought he was going to, you know, oh, fall all the way down to the valley. Um, but luckily he hit a ledge and I was able to down climb to him. And I made sure like going forward, um, I held on as tight as I could to his ledge and or sorry, to his leash and like would not mm -hmm. let go. Um, and so during these eight hours that I was on these slabs on the side of the mountain, um, because a dog should never be in that terrain, um, their paws simply cannot handle it. Um, the, the quicks on his nails, they were all shredded down. Um, so he was gushing blood out of every oh, single one of his gosh. nails and it just like would not stop bleeding. And all of his paw pads ended up like completely shredded off. Like he was just, it was just a trail of blood, like all across um, the north side of the mountain where we were traversing. Like, it's hard to relive this because he was absolutely terrified and I didn't know what to do because I was terrified at the same time. I didn't know how to get back up to the avenue. I didn't know how to get off this mountain. I didn't know, like, if I even could get all the way down off these slabby slopes down into the, the other valley. But anyways, um, there were a couple points during this eight-hour stint where it started to snow. And I just remember thinking, like, there's no way, like, like I can't survive any sort of weather that's going to come in because I, I was wearing like a pair of leggings, um, trail runners, one pair of socks. I had on a long sleeve base layer, and I did have a very, very light um, Patagonia puffy, and I did have gloves, um, but that was it. Like I didn't have enough clothing to keep me warm if weather came in. Or enough food or water to make it, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So luckily, like both times, it ended pretty quickly, um, which I was very grateful you for. Mean, you mean the weather? The, the, the weather, yes. Yeah. yeah. And so eventually, like I started to notice, like it was beginning to get darker and I was terrified of like being stuck on these slabs throughout the night. And so I suddenly just like decide I need to make a plan. I need to find a way to get down into the valley, which was the valley on the wrong side of the mountain, <laughs> um, which I now know is called Spanish Creek. I had no clue at the time what it was. Um, 
And from the slabs, like I thought I could see like a trail. I could see like a clearing, like through the valley, like through the trees. And so I made it my next objective. I was like, okay, like I have to get down there before it gets dark. And so it was really, really difficult to convince my dog to down climb all the way down to this valley. Um, he did not want to move. He was completely exhausted. Like he had lost so much blood. Like I genuinely thought like he was going to bleed out on me, but we eventually got down to the valley. Um, and literally like once we got down there, it was completely dark. Um, and luckily I had my headlamp because I had started the hike before the sun rose. So I had been wearing it at the beginning of the hike. Um, I didn't bring extra batteries, so it was very, um, it was, it wasn't dead or it was just like the light was pretty dim, but anyways, um, so we get down there and then I get my headlamp on and I finally decide like, okay, next plan. Like I need to just make sure I can sleep throughout the night. And then in the morning I'll look for this trail that I thought I saw, but once it got dark, like it got really cold and there, I knew there was no way I could just sit there. Like I thought I might like freeze to death or, you know, just severe hypothermia. So I then decided like, okay, like we'll just try to hike our way out, like down the valley for as long as we can. And so I would probably like hike and when I say hike, I actually mean bushwhack because there's all these down trees and like I couldn't find any trail. So I'm kind of like bushwhacking, like having to jump over trees. Um, my dog was having such a hard time doing this um, because of the state he was in. So we would maybe hike for like, yeah, maybe 30 minutes at a time and then we'd have to stop and rest and I would just cuddle him and try to keep him warm. Um, this probably went on for, I would guess, according to Search and Rescue's records, about an hour and a half to two hours. And at one point when I was laying down with my dog, trying to keep him warm, I like heard something above me and I look up and this is going to sound so naive. Um, I thought it was an airplane because I'd never seen a helicopter in person. Um, and it was a helicopter and it flew not directly above me, but it kind of flew like in a circle around me and it then circled around to the crest stones. Um, and since the crest stones are both technically hard mountains, um, there's lots of rescues and unfortunately deaths on the crest stones every year. Um, so when it circled around me the first time I was like, Oh, they're just, they were just there looking for someone in the crest stones. Well, then it came back again, maybe about 10 minutes later and it kind of came a little more directly over me. And so I had no clue, like, this is what you're supposed to do if a helicopter is looking for you, but I kept looking up at it. So it looked like I was shining my headlamp up at, up at the helicopter. And the third time it comes back around and it comes directly over me. And so I'm just staring up in the sky and I actually started like moving around and kind of like making circles with my head just trying to like get noticed like if for some reason this helicopter was for me um well after the third time it doesn't come back and turns out according to records this was around I think like 10 30 p.m that the helicopter came and so like the first two times it came or actually all three times it came, I thought like, oh, like maybe someone somehow like thought to send out rescue for me, even though I, the last thing I said to someone was I'm fine. Like I found my way um, before my phone died. Um, so anyway, so then I decided like, you know, it probably wasn't for me and I need to just keep working on finding a way out of here. So I continued to bushwhack. Um, for the next, I guess, five hours um, through the night. 
And there were probably two points in time when I started to like emotionally break down. Um, but both times, like it never lasted very long. Like it maybe lasted like a minute. Um, I remember both you were able to like pull yourself together. Right. Like it was so weird. I like was so quickly able to pull myself back to a logical mindset, like just realizing like crying and thinking about death, like wasn't going to help me. Um, and so it, it was strange. I remember eventually thinking like, okay, like I need to just start thinking about what I need to happen. And so, um, there were a couple points in the night that I thought I actually might've been on a trail. Um, I remember even seeing like some cairns, but there were also still so many dead trees that like, I wasn't sure if I was like, this is going to sound weird, but I wasn't sure if I was imagining them. Um, but I started thinking like, okay, like if there's a trail over here, like there's going to be people hiking up in the morning and they might even start hiking pretty early. Like they might get an Alpine start. Um, (laughs) and so I told myself like in the morning, like I'm going to see some headlamps, like someone's going to be hiking up here if there's a trail. Turns out it was around three or three thirty a.m. I actually saw a headlamp, and it was just like the most beautiful thing I think I'd ever seen in my life. Um, I had a whistle around my neck that I had actually never used before. I've always carried it with me um, for emergencies, like on fourteener trips, um, and so I was really scared because I. I, well, I saw one headlamp at first and then it turned into three, but they were still pretty far away from me. And I was really terrified of like scaring these hikers. Um, I didn't want to like, you know, some strange girl in the dark (laughs) out in the middle of the night, like whistling at them. So I pulled out or I put the whistle up to my lips and I like blew it once. And then I waited a moment and then I just called out hello and it was three men and one of them calls back and he's like hi (laughs) and I remember thinking like oh this is really strange he sounds so calm um so then I called out again and I was like I've been lost since yesterday and he calls back and he was like are you Rachel and then I was like really confused and I was like yeah "Yeah." (laughs) I'm like how do you know that because in my mind like I didn't think anyone would be looking for me or think to call search and rescue because I told my friend I was okay like that I found my way before my phone died so he was like hold on he was like let me come to you so anyways he comes over to me and he's like yeah like your friend called us like after you said you were lost and he didn't hear from you and I was like well I didn't get that last text he did not so it showed that it was sent on my end but it didn't send before my phone died apparently so that was the mystery solved um and it was three search and rescue or rescuers with Sagwatch County Search and Rescue. Um, they bandaged up my dog's paws. And it was just, it was crazy to see the difference in my dog. Because um, I, like, he, I really thought he was going to die. I thought he was going to bleed out. Like, he did not want to move at all. And this is a dog that just could hike for days on end. When the three rescuers came over to us, he just, like, perked straight up. Like, he knew like we were okay. Um, and I don't know if that's just the energy he got from me or from the rescuers, but, um, he let them like bandage up his paws. And then turns out, um, I was two miles away from a road and that there actually was a trail that went through that Valley called Spanish Creek trail. Um, where I was initially at on it, like there's not a good trail. Like it's very, very difficult to find. Like um, people rarely hike this trail from what I'm aware of. Um, right, they usually go up the other side. Exactly. Um, 
And so it took us a few or a couple hours to hike out to the road. Um, and had I even like found the trail in the morning when it got light, I think it would have probably taken me a while. And when we got down to the road where their car was at, um, there were no cars over there. And we, I think we spent probably like 10 minutes or so, like loading up into their truck, me and my dog. And I didn't see like a single car, like drive by, um, so yeah, had I like found my way out in the morning, I don't know how long, like my dog and I would have been waiting, like hoping like someone would drive by and be kind enough to like pick us up and, uh, take me to help. Um, I was totally fine. My dog was injured. Um, but I was fine. So yeah, search and rescue. Um, I talked to them while they drove me over to my car on the other side of the mountain. That was probably about a 30 minute drive. And, um, they told me that they've done so many rescues of people who miss the avenue and get cliffed out on those slabs. Um, I think they said that I was the only person they were aware of that was able to get off of the slabs. Um, and um, I've since talked to search and rescue since then, and they said they weren't aware of anyone dying from missing the avenue, but they've had to rescue quite a few people who have made that same mistake. And they had to, you know, do a technical rescue by getting up to them on the slabs. Um, so this is something that just really is an issue um, with this peak. Yeah, so that's the story in a nutshell. Um, just so everyone knows, my dog is okay. Uh, we did have another scare when I finally got home um, that night. Um, I took him to the vet the next day. And because he lost so much blood um, and was continuing to lose blood, even after we got back, they thought he had internal bleeding. And um, turns out he just lost that much blood that it took him like almost a full week to for his blood levels to get back to normal. Um, and so what were some of the things that you learned, Rachel? Yeah, so there were a lot, but um, be prepared. So know your route, study it, memorize it, print out pictures of the route. Um, be aware that phones and GPS devices do die. So um, having like a map and compass, reading trip reports that others have posted, there's a plenitude of information on 14ers.com. And also having, yeah, like multiple navigational tools and electronics. Um, having right, a maybe fully... like a backup battery for your cell phone or an inReach or, or exactly. something in addition to if, in case your phone does die, you know, you can have your inReach or mm-hmm. you know, some other Yep, mode. which I uh, do have one of those now. Thanks to my mom and dad. That was my Christmas present that year. <laughs> um, so be prepared, but then also stay prepared. So always be prepared to spend the night out and have any necessary gear. So having plenty of water, a water filter, more food than you think that you need in case you have to spend the night out. Um, I now have an emergency bivy sack to make me slightly warmer if that ever happens again. Hopefully not, but um, plenty of layers, having a headlamp and always having extra batteries. Search and Rescue even said they're like, yeah, like your headlamp's about to die. Um, They had to give me other batteries so we could hike out. Um, having a first aid kit and also knowing how to use it. And then also anything, if you're bringing a dog along, like I tend to do having a coat for a dog and also having an emergency dog carrier, which I also now have, I have the Fido Airlift Pro so that if he were to get injured again, I could strap him to my back and carry him out. Like 
it wouldn't be comfortable, but it would be possible. And then bringing extra food and water for the dog or pet as well. Another big one is just always telling someone or multiple people not only where you're going if you're going somewhere alone, um, but when they should also expect to hear from you. That way, if they don't hear from you by a certain time, they know to go ahead and call search and rescue. I've also heard that you should leave a detailed itinerary with your specific route intention on the windshield of your vehicle. In case, because search and rescue, they did go up to the, the Willow Lake trailhead and they found my vehicle there and they actually left a note for me. Um, this was before they came out and found me. Um, and then, yeah, if you're going into the backcountry alone, you need to be like a million times more cautious than you would be with a partner because if something happens, like it's just you, it's just you. And there's no one to rely on to make decisions with you or provide support or emotional support. Um, yeah. (laughs) Thanks to Rachel for sharing her personal story and all the valuable lessons she learned along the way. Thank you to every single search and rescue volunteer that was on that mission. Thank you to the amazing sponsors of this podcast. Rocky Talkie, the American Alpine Club, Sterling Rope, and Swoop. As an emergency room nurse for the past 15 years, I have learned I don't have time for a bad bra, so I designed my own. I'm Virginia Lynn Peterson, owner of Swoop, and we make bras and underwear. I designed a bra that is more supportive than a bralette, but not so tight as a sports bra. It works perfectly for that busy, active woman who doesn't want to think twice about her undergarments. So if you're looking for a fun, comfortable and functional bra that you can wear all day every day head on over to swoop.com and check us out make sure you use promo code sharp end for 15 percent off that's wearswoop.com w-e-a-r-s-w-o-o-p.com you heard her and sign up on my website the sharpbendpodcast.com today july 1st 2022 until july 8th to enter into the giveaway for swoop product i'll announce the winner on july 9th good luck Did you know that the American Alpine Club has their own podcast now? You can now take a deep dive into your favorite American Alpine Club content via your headphones and car stereo. The drive to work or your favorite hangboard routine just got way more interesting. Find the American Alpine Club podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. And as always, remember, play hard and be smart.